This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Welcome to Perino on Politics. I'm Bill Hemmer, filling in for my co-anchor on America's Newsroom, Dana Perino is clearly in a much better place than here. Uh, This weekend, Congress was able to narrowly avoid a partial government shutdown uh, by passing a continuing resolution that will fund the government through mid-November. So they bought themselves essentially 45 days. Although the bill passed with bipartisan support in the House and Senate, uh, Kevin McCarthy's speakership remains in jeopardy as critics within his own party threatened to oust him from his leadership role, although those numbers are still small. With all of the drama unfolding within the party, President Biden has attempted to draw attention to their inner squabbling as he campaigns for re-election. So how can Republican candidates improve the party's image as they make their case to voters ahead of the election of 2024? With me now to break it down is my colleague and friend Guy Benson. And good day to you, Guy. How you doing? Hello, Bill. Thanks for having me. You bet. Guy's a Fox News contributor, the political editor for townhall.com. You can also hear more of Guy's commentary here on Fox News Talk Radio, where he hosts the Guy Benson Show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So welcome to Perino on Politics. Did the voice scare you at all? Were you expecting Dana? Well, I did get a heads up. That Ah. would be you. And I'm delighted to speak with you, of course, under any circumstances, Bill. And I do follow Dana on social, and it does appear that she is somewhere very, very beautiful. (laughs) And she deserves that. So we can hold down the fort. Got it. Right on. Guy, thanks for being here. What did you make of all the machinations from over the weekend? Do you have an idea as to where we're going next? Well, I think it's pretty embarrassing overall for the Republicans who nominally have a majority in the House. If they had stayed on the same page, I think they probably could have made the Democrats' lives pretty difficult the last few days. If you can imagine them rallying behind let's say, a continuing resolution while they were still negotiating appropriations bills just to fund the government for whatever would be a number of weeks in which they would say, great, we're going to keep the government open. We will avoid this partial shutdown. That's off the table. But we also want some modest spending restraint. And we insist on, let's just say, X, Y and Z at the border, with the border being as bad as it has ever been in modern American history Mm -hmm. just this past month they would have a lot of leverage to squeeze the Democrats saying, wait, so now you guys would like to shut down the government because you're so committed to doing nothing about the border? That's what Republicans had in the offing. And they chose instead to engage in this fratricidal exercise with just a handful, for the most part, of insurgents saying, we're not going to really agree to anything. That was Speaker McCarthy's big beef. He was Mm -hmm. saying, We had all sorts of ideas. We could have gone this direction, that direction or the other. They just said no to everything and ultimately staring down the barrel of either an unpleasant CR that was effectively clean, which is what the Democrats wanted, or a government shutdown for which the Republicans would be blamed 
McCarthy, I think, made the political calculation, probably the right one, and said, let's just get this off the table and clear the decks for the next six weeks. By the way, there's a Virginia asterisk to that. Maybe you can ask about in a second here, Bill. But instead of extracting some concessions and notching some conservative victories, instead, a very small number of House Republicans guaranteed that the Democrats' votes were needed to get this thing passed. And therefore, it was basically just a clean CR and kicks the can six more weeks. I think it's a quixotic mm-hmm. notion that they're going to throw McCarthy out of the speakership. They would need all the Democrats to join them for that. The Republicans overwhelmingly are against that idea and are really ticked off at their own colleagues. So I think that they gave themselves a little bit of breathing room in an unpleasant way and more unpleasantness is on the way. Okay. So you think McCarthy keeps his speaker's gavel? I do. Okay. Because there isn't really any sort of realistic alternative. And the only way Chad Pergram, our colleague, had a really good Twitter thread on this explaining how it would be possible for this motion to vacate to actually work and throw McCarthy out of the speakership, it is a very tough needle to thread. And it would require every single Democrat in the House to side with a tiny number of Republicans, which would then trigger now what? I think for the most part, there's a lot of members who want no part of that, certainly the overwhelming majority of Republican members. Okay, so that pushes us to mid-November. In your answer, you were you said something about the Virginia elections, which is early November. That's right. And, so, and Glenn Youngkin is trying to flip the Senate, which would make the entire legislature in Virginia Republican. What does that have to do with this government shutdown? Yeah, fight? so, yeah, bingo on the stakes in Virginia, which is the Commonwealth where I live, Youngkin's very popular in Virginia. He's got an approval rating well over 50%. This is, of course, a Joe Biden carries state by 10 points. Republicans very narrowly have the lower chamber majority. Democrats very narrowly have the upper chamber majority. And Youngkin is barnstorming the state, spending money, doing all this stuff to try to flip the Senate, hold the House of Delegates, and have that, even if it's narrow, a trifecta to try to uh, govern more efficiently with Republicans. Got okay. it. So yeah. it's a couple couple big things on the line. Virginia voters, so many of them, so many of us live in Northern Virginia. They are directly or somewhat directly impacted when there's a partial government shutdown, more so than almost any other state in the country. I can tell you for a fact, Bill, that the last thing that Virginia Republicans wanted to be fighting against in terms of headwinds in the middle of this final home stretch before the election in early November is a partial government federal shutdown right across the Potomac. Wow, that's great nuance. Well done, guy. Didn't, had not even thought about that. Just to take it a step further, I'm everybody's got this whisper campaign against, uh, I'm sorry, about Len Youngkin. It seems it, like it's again sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah, depending on which corner it's coming from. Do you think if he's, if he's successful in that election, that he would give a second look to being a Republican nominee? So I would first say that the shutdown possibility being off the table for the next six weeks or so buys the Republicans time and takes the issue off the table. So that helps them. It's still a very tough fight in Virginia. Very close races. Second, let's say he is successful and Republicans overcome some of the national atmospherics, whether it's involving the former president or they handle the abortion issue better or what have you, I think you will see among some Republicans, especially in the donor class, increased calls 
for a second or a third look at Glenn Youngkin, who has been very dismissive of the presidential rumors, but he has not, in my mind, notably, absolutely slammed the door. He says he's honored, he's flattered, but that's not what he's up to. Mm -hmm. He's focused on other things. That's not a hard no. Right. The issue is, and, and he has sort of nodded at this, just practically speaking, let's say you thought Glenn Youngkin somehow had a magical chance against Donald Trump and the rest of the field to shoot to the head of the class and win the whole thing. Even if you believe that, and I love Glenn Youngkin, but I don't believe that's true, but granting it for the sake of argument, just logistically speaking, it would be very hard to get from here to there, given the fact that Iowa is in January, the elections in Virginia are in early November, standing up a team and an operation and getting any traction, especially with the field the way it is, it just seems to me quixotic and foolish to push him into this. But until I hear him unequivocally say it's absolutely not happening, it's at least something that we need to think about that's in the back of his mind. And he's definitely getting prodded from certain folks to do it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, really great. Another great answer, Guy. Uh, one more question on the debt. If we're back here in 45 days, right? Yeah. What's going to change, I guess, is what I'm thinking about. And 45 days after mid-November is Christmas and New Year's. And nothing focuses a member of Congress's mind better than trying to get out of town for the holiday. Yep. And I think that's probably what they're thinking about. They're like, okay, let's push this thing to Thanksgiving. And then maybe if we have to, we'll have another cliff around Christmas. And most Americans will be distracted dealing with their own family stuff for the holidays. And we'll do another annoying giant omnibus and we'll pass that, and no one will be happy with it, and then we'll all move on. Wow, but uh, Republicans have said they're not going to throw everything into one final vote. I, I know. That's what wow. they've said. Wow. That's okay. what they've said. But, Bill, yeah. based on what we just saw, they couldn't even get a CR with a few items that they all at least ostensibly agree on to fund the government for six weeks. So maybe Matt Gates and that little crew have a change of heart. Or maybe they are just up to mischief and want to burn the place down. And ultimately, here's the bottom line, Bill. If the Republican leadership has to rely on Democratic votes to get anything passed, they might have no choice but to do something that will royally yeah. piss off most Republicans because a small handful of Republicans basically force that hand. I hope that doesn't happen. I think there's leverage here. But the leverage was just squandered before our eyes for absolutely no good reason, with absolutely no plan. And Bill, I'm like a center-right, fairly pragmatic guy. One of our colleagues at Fox, Mark Levin, uh, he can be a bit more, let's say, passionate, a little bit more excitable. He's definitely to my right, and I love Mark. We get along very well. He was tearing into this small group of Republicans saying, this is just destructive with no plan. Uh, unless that mentality changes, I think... The outcome a few weeks from now could end up being very unpalatable again. Wow. Great analysis. I've got a quote here in a moment that I'm going to get to. But before I get to that and before I take a quick break, when was the last time you pulled a fire alarm, Guy? Um, I was actually just thinking about this, weirdly, apropos of nothing, yeah. uh, over the weekend. I I've never pulled a fire alarm, but I have opened many doors. So I wonder if that's basically the same thing. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Could be. Let's wait for the investigation, okay? Uh, before we wrap up this segment, i got a, can a quotable here. 
Uh, which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement? Quote, while the union bosses are talking about class warfare and talking about disparity in wages, I have to tell you, I really believe that what's driving that is that Bidenomics has failed. End quote. Uh, I'm Bill Hemmer in for my partner, Dana Perino. We will have that answer coming up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We are back with Perino on Politics. I'm Bill Hemmer, pinch hitting for my partner as she takes a little bit of vacation after that big debate in Simi Valley. Guy Benson is my host. And Guy, as we continue our discussion, um, what are we missing so far? So this is an interesting one. I know Dana loves to ask this question. And I'll answer that question with a quick story. And it may not be something that you or I are missing, or certainly that a lot of our listeners are missing, but I do think it's something that a lot of people in the press are missing. They might intellectually understand it, at least theoretically, based on polling, but I'm not sure they get it, get it. So you just mentioned the debate in Simi Valley, the Reagan Library. The previous debate before that, the first one of this cycle, was in Milwaukee. And you and I were both out there, Bill. Yeah. And the debate happened. The next day, I was getting ready to leave town. And I was in an Uber heading to the airport. And my driver was an African-American woman in her early 40s. And she saw I still had my press credential around my neck. I forgot to take it off. So she said, hey, were you at the debate? I said, yes, ma'am. And she just started talking to me about her thoughts on politics. I didn't ask. She wanted to talk. And I said, you know, I'll listen. It's good to meet people. And she said, you might have guessed that I'm a Democrat. And she kind of laughed. She kind of gestured at herself being a black woman from Milwaukee. It's a fairly safe bet that she might lean that way. And indeed she does. So she was talking about that. And then she went off on Trump for a while and how she can't stand him and how she'll never, ever forgive January 6th and the reasons behind that. And I was just quietly listening. I wasn't trying to engage really or, or argue with her. I just was interested to hear what was on her mind. Plus, I was sort of a captive audience in the backseat of her car. She was very pleasant about it. And then I was like, okay, I'm not sure if she's here trying to sort of lecture me because she thinks I'm, you know, at Fox or conservative or I might love Trump or whatever. I realized at some point that all of that was just her sort of winding up to her real point throat clearing, where she then pivoted to how hard it is out there in the country for working people. She said, I drive with Uber and I have for a number of years because my main job doesn't pay me quite enough to help support my mother who's getting older and is ailing and she relies on me. And she said, I hate to say it, but when I get up in the morning and fill up this car to then drive, it costs me double what it used to. I'm in a hole that's even deeper that I have to climb out of just to make a profit. And that wasn't true when Donald Trump was president. And she said, then I go to the grocery store. I have to feed my own kids. She said, have you seen what they're charging for chicken? This is crazy. And Bill, I'm sitting in the back of this car and I feel like I'm watching a folk, like a focus group of one and almost like a Republican campaign ad. I absolutely swear up and down 
This is not an anecdote that I'm exaggerating or, or making up. This absolutely happened. And she got a little bit misty-eyed, a little bit tearful. And she said, we can't take this out here much longer. And she said, I can't vote for Donald Trump, period, because of all the reasons she had previously mentioned. But she said the situation for her and her family is so much harder under this administration. She absolutely believes that the Biden administration is at least somewhat responsible for that hardship. And she said straight up, my life, my family's life was better and easier when Donald Trump was president. And there was just a pause in that car. Mm. And I will not forget that because what she was just describing is not a random anecdote, although it is. It is also reflective of the data, of the polling. You've got a lot of folks in this country really unhappy with the idea of a rematch of 2020 and very conflicted people. And the question is, will people who, let's say, might be in that swing category, will they ultimately say, I can't vote for that guy because all the stuff I can't stand about him and the baggage? Or can I not vote for that other guy because what he has done to my family and we can't afford this much longer? I was watching that battle play out in this woman who is traditionally a Democrat-leaning voter, and she told me for those reasons, she thinks even within her own community, Trump will do a lot better than people are thinking for that specific reason. Whether that plays out, who knows? But as a moment in time and someone talking through her heartfelt thoughts on what's happening in this country, I felt like that is the experience of someone that a lot of people in the elite media might understand, might exist out there, but they haven't really experienced it. They don't get some of the anguish and the fear out there. And to me, it was really, really important to hear and important to share. Interesting anecdote. Thanks for sharing that with us here. Uh, I wanted to ask you quickly on this debate last week. Uh, You you think Ron DeSantis won, but you're not quite sure it's really going to matter. That's right. So explain yourself. Yeah. So, you know, my general thought, I was watching it, and my takeaway as soon as it ended was, okay, I felt like if you clear out the shuffle and, and cut through some of that noise, who performed best? And in my mind, it was DeSantis because he, again, didn't get sucked into the fray with other candidates. He talked about his record. He talked about, in fact, not talking about doing and had really good examples of all that. And some other people had good moments and so on and so forth. But my instinct was I thought he did the best of that group. The polling subsequently, you know, bore that out. We saw that from Washington Post. He won by double digits and all of that. The second part is I'm not sure it matters because even though within that crowd of seven, I thought he won. There's one guy not on the stage who's up by 40 points. And in order to really change the game and alter the trajectory, you can't just win a debate. You have to start to gain dramatically on the far and away front runner. And based on those two hours, I did not see the trajectory or the arc of that race changing all that much. And therefore, it's a feather in the cap for DeSantis. I think between that and a really good appearance on Bill Maher the next night or two nights later uh, on HBO, maybe he's got some momentum. But, you know, when you're down in a CBS News poll by 30 points in your most important state of Iowa, you can win a debate. That's not really quite enough. And my suspicion is things are still relatively status quo. Well, 
We are speaking around noon on Monday, October 2nd, and we just watched a fascinating court appearance on behalf of Donald Trump. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, guys. So hang out here. Wanted to get back to our quote. While the union bosses are talking about class warfare and talking about disparity in wages, I have to tell you, I really believe what's driving that is Bidenomics has failed. And that quote is from former Vice President Mike Pence, which I think was a hard one. (laughs) I don't think I would have gotten that one either. Anyway, I'm Bill Hemmer working for Dana on Perino on politics and more with Guy Benson next. Welcome back. Perino on politics. I'm Bill Hemmer sitting in for my partner, my friend, Dana. Now, before we wrap up, what should we focus on as we look ahead? With my guess, Guy Benson. Guy, we, we watched a fascinating appearance on behalf of Donald Trump where before he went inside the courtroom, he made a long four or five minute statement about why he is innocent. Professor Turley said, if you don't like Donald Trump, you're loving this. But if you like Donald Trump, you're hating this moment. What's the effect of it? And this is just one case, four more to go. If you're hating the moment, it's not because you're hating him. It's because you're hating what you believe is unjustly happening to him. And my thoughts on this are fairly nuanced. I think some of the charges in some of the indictments are legitimate. Others are just political nonsense and persecution. But I think a lot of Republican voters have just decided the whole thing is nonsense. They didn't charge Hillary Clinton for her document stuff and destroying evidence. They're coming after Trump because they fear him and they hate him. And so it is our job, this is the mentality, to rally around him. So I think seeing the court appearance, there's a school of thought that if Donald Trump is on trial, which he will be in the coming months, that might give some Republican voters pause. Do we really want to nominate someone for president who could very possibly be a convicted felon by the time the actual election comes around? And how will that go for us? I guess that's possible. I think it's a very good question for voters to ask themselves. However, my suspicion based on the last seven years and certainly the last, let's say, half a year in particular, I think if you are a Trump fan or even kind of a Trump fan on the center right and you're watching this and you're angry about it, that is going to push you further into his camp because you feel like you owe it to the country to fight back against what you see as this injustice. So while there's there's a possibility that things can start to break the other way. I think recent history has taught us that rallying around the flag, in this case, around the Trump flag, under these circumstances is what Republican voters are inclined to do right now. And until I see big evidence otherwise, I will suspect that they will continue to do that. Well, Guy, it's great talking today. Look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to get a pop quiz for you, okay? Okay. So you can choose from one of the three categories, presidential potpourri, campaign slogans, or presidential pets. So you got a potpourri, a campaign slogan, or a presidential pet today. What are you feeling, Guy Benson? I know Dana would want me to go with pets, but I'm afraid of what Joe Biden's dog might do to me. So let's just <laughs> go with campaign slogans, Alex. Uh, all right, for a you got it. You're, uh, this is a hard one for oh, you. Oh, no. Okay, right, maybe I was ready? picked wrong. <laughs> I would have okay. gone with the pets because I think it's the most difficult. 
Quote, it's morning in America was this candidate's campaign slogan. Was it Reagan, Nixon, or Jed Barlett? That was Ronald Reagan. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Thank you, Guy. Great to be with you. My pleasure. See you real soon. Guy Benson, I'm Bill Hemmer. Dana is back next week for more of Perino on politics. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.